I'm John DiLibretto, and you're hearing the Echoes podcast from PRX. If I'm sounding a bit croaky to you today, it's because I had a very negative reaction to my recent COVID vaccine, which definitely did not sit well with me. In fact, my doctor said my reaction to it was extreme. But I'm going to soldier on here because I've got another complete interview for you today, this time with Mimi Page. She's an auteur of electronic dream pop and a composer of video game scores. You've heard her music turn up in TV series like Dark. We've been intoxicated by her for years, whether it's her serene vocals on Breathe Me In, the celestial choirs of Dark Before the Dawn, her collaborations with Delirium, or her own evocative instrumentals. I thought our interview was so much fun that I wanted you to hear the complete version of it. Fun except when it wasn't. That's when she talked about her fraught relationship with Bass Nectar. Have you been wanting to represent Echoes by rocking out in Echoes gear? Well, not only do we have the t-shirt, but lots of other items that have the Echoes logo so you can show the world where the chill resides. There's sweatshirts, hoodies, insulated mugs, and more. Go to echoes.org, click on store, select new products. All kinds of cool stuff there, including a Christmas ornament. Go to echoes.org, store new products. That's at echoes, E-C-H-O-E-S dot org, O-R-G. I've been entranced by Mimi Page since I heard her song Breathe Me In in 2012. Since then, she's released a string of albums and EPs with a distinctive dream pop sound bathed in electronica. And it's all topped by her hauntingly beautiful layered vocals. She was a diva of EDM and electronica, appearing on tracks by Delirium, John Fryer and Black Needle Noise, and Bass Nectar. That last one has a dark backstory. But Mimi Page usually heads to the light, and her latest album is Sound Healing, Volume 1. It's an all-instrumental ambient album, although most of the instruments are her voice. I spoke to Mimi in July for an Echo's broadcast feature. It was such a good interview that I wanted you to hear the entire thing. I talked to Mimi Page on the Riverside app. She was at her home in Longview, Texas. Hello, I am Mimi Page. I am a singer, I am a songwriter, I am a composer, I am a sound healer. I have my own software where you can compose with my vocals and my soundscapes, and I'm a new mom. <laughs> oh, I've seen those pictures on your page, actually. Congratulations on that. Thank you. And where are you located right now? I am in the woods of East Texas, so I moved here a couple years ago. Wow. So how did you wind up there? So I was born and raised in Los Angeles, a city kid, but every chance I got, I would go to national parks or any place in nature that brought me peace and inspired my creativity. So about 2019, I felt the call to leave the city life. I wanted to grow my own food and wake up and hear the birds and just be around trees so my husband and I decided uh, we were picking different places on the map and researching what would be great for us, what was like good for my recording in nature, what was like economically reasonable. And we have family out here. 
And so when we visited, it was such a small town. <laughs> it was like jumping off a cliff and being like, what's going to happen? Um, and we we just did it. We just moved. We uprooted and um, it's been so beautiful out here. Huh. Quite a contrast, though, from Southern California. Huge contrast. Yeah. It's interesting, too. Uh, we just opened a metaphysical store during the pandemic. So we have this cute little shop called The Dreaming Peddler. It's actually the first metaphysical shop in our entire area. So we have sound healing bowls. Um, we have incense, crystals, oddities. And because it's a small town, unlike a big city, some people have never seen anything like this before. So they walk in and they're mystified. And just to see that on someone's face and kids that come into the shop, it's like so beautiful. So it's a contrast of seeing so much all the time, being overstimulated in a city to being in nature and in a smaller town and seeing the simplicity um, versus what I was used to. So are you working in the store? Are you a cashier or whatever in the store, <laughs> sales salesperson? We opened like that during the pandemic when the whole world shut down. Um, I, we did. And I, I ran the shop with my husband for about a year and a half. Then we got some employees. We have some beautiful employees. And um, I actually do sound healing in a private practice now with Reiki. And uh, I'm in a back studio a couple days a week. Huh. Okay. There is nothing in your early music, so, so most of the music you were doing in the 2000s, that would make me think that you were heavily into the whole new age scene. Really? Yes. Wow. Yeah. I. You know, it's so interesting you say that. That's been my inspiration my whole life. The first CD I ever got was Pure Moods. I was seven years old. And so I've been into like Enigma, Enya, um, just all that was a world that I loved personally. But yeah, my career has taken me to a lot of bizarre and interesting spaces. So yeah, I guess I haven't really come home to myself until this period in my life. <laughs> right, right. And I, I'm wondering, you know, I'm always um, figuring out from people's, you know, date of birth, what music they would have been listening to when they came into like real musical consciousness, you know, when they began developing their taste, which is usually around the age of, you know, 13 or so, right? And for you, that would have been 2000. I don't know. What was going on then? Oh, lots of stuff. Um, I was coming out of like a dark rock period and I went through a really kind of intense, aggressive phase in my teen years. So I was huge into Tool, but also loved Radiohead. Radiohead was my favorite band. Um, Tori Amos. Enya, I've been listening to since I was six years old. She's like my spiritual godmother in music. I love her so much. <laughs> um, Bjork, uh, Portishead, um, gosh, who else? I'm huge into film composers. So Michael Nyman, uh, Thomas Newman. Yeah, a big, big collective spectrum. And then Deuter. I don't know if you know Deuter. I know Deuter very well. <laughs> you do? Yeah, of course. You know, you know a little bit about me, don't you? <laughs> like, I've known Deuter since 82 or 3, something like that. I interviewed him for the first time, yeah, in 82, in the south of France. And he was at the, uh, what would you call it, 
the monastery, the thing of like, you know, he was with Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh at the time, Osho. <gasps> and I was there. We stayed there. And I interviewed him there. And then I interviewed him in Hawaii. He was in Hawaii for a while. And I feel like there's another interview in there somewhere. I haven't interviewed him since he moved to, I believe he's in Santa Fe. But yeah, I've known Deuter for quite some time. I was surprised to see that as an influence on you. Oh my God. He's probably my favorite artist of all time. I go somewhere else with his music. It, it speaks to my soul. Man, that is, I, I've loved your show and I, my respect for you has gone like through the roof. <laughs> the fact that you've <laughs> interviewed him so many times. That's so cool. Wow. <laughs> well, it's interesting. I, I really loved his early stuff. I thought in recent years, when he's been really churning them out, that stuff kind of evaporates for me. Mm. Wow. Sweet guy. Mm. Very sweet guy and very talented. And he's been around a long time. Yeah. Yeah. So that's so different from all that other music you were just listing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, when I heard Deuter, though, something called me to the deepest part of my soul, and I couldn't explain it. I felt like I went home, and he kind of made me feel like that's where I was going to go with my artistry. I've written in so many different genres, especially EDM, things like that, and that's very high energy. But what I feel my forte is, is going deep within the soul. And so when I heard him, I'm like, there is a whole place I can explore within me that I felt like he unlocked for me. Um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have to tell him that. Have you ha ever had any contact with him? I haven't. I think I wrote him an email maybe 10 years ago, and I never heard back. And I, I who am I, you know? So, <laughs> But I mean, man, if I ever got to talk to him, I would just tell him just... Spiritually speaking, thank you just for existing because what he's done for my own artistry has been phenomenal. Well, I wouldn't say that was very obvious until the new album, Sound Healing Volume 1. Yeah. I think the pandemic really unlocked a lot of possibilities with what I could do creatively. So that's kind of like where I found my courage to do a sound healing and meditative new age album and i'm working on a new album right now called echoes of eternity and it's a lot more like you've heard of my my work in the past like ethereal blues um vocally lyrically driven but merged with the sound healing so you'll you'll kind of hear that on my next record yeah because i read i mean you were working on that actually kind of before this album mm -hmm. yeah right and then you get sidetracked into the sound healing so you call yourself a sound healer. So what does that mean to you? So sound healing, when you think of it scientifically, it's sound healing the body or the mind. And so throughout my whole career, I feel like I have been doing that, but not as like a new age artist, not creating solfeggio frequencies or using crystal healing bowls like I do now in a live setting. But my voice has a very healing frequency. And through different genres... I found I get the same message from my fan base. Your music healed me. Your voice has healed me. I listen to you to find peace. And so I've considered that kind of being what my profession is, is that I heal people through sound. And what's cool is I created my own software. It's called Light and Shadow. And it's all my vibration, my voice. You can play it as an instrument and you can actually heal yourself or just 
be in a good vibe creating with my sounds. And then I created a whole drone and pad virtual instrument where you can create pads and soundscapes, but all of those sounds are created out of my voice as well. So it's not, it doesn't sound like a vocal, but they all are my voice. So those healing frequencies will be very instrumental, but they're still my voice. So that's another aspect of my sound healing. <laughs> so you say software. So is this different from a sample library? It technically is a sample library. Um, there are samples of me that you can play and trigger. So if you had a beat, you could drop in my vocal and play with it. But you can also pretty much time stretch and create your own instruments out of my voice. And Sound Iron is the company that I partnered with. And their technology is amazing. I mean, you can just play with the sound wave of me and create whatever you want to out of it. So it's so much more complex than just a sample. You can play me like I'm alive with you in the room or create like just this, this angelic choir with the sounds and yeah. I have a question. I want to talk about the angelic choirs, but um, Mimi Page is a very distinct artist with her own voice in quotes and you're kind of giving that away. <laughs> so I could get this library and I could do a Mimi Page record, if you will. Yeah, you could. That's not a good thing, you think? I think it's beautiful. Really? I, I think what was interesting was, and I got that type of perspective when I had this idea, mm -hmm. you know, that you're not exclusive anymore. I've worked with over 50 artists. I've had hundreds of songs out into the world. What would be so beautiful to me is gifting what I feel the most sacred part of art, which is my soul, with the world. That's the ultimate collaboration. And if I were to ever pass away, you can create with me forever. <laughs> so technically, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm universal now, right? <laughs> so I think that's so cool. <laughs> okay, well, that's a sweet way of looking at it. <laughs> I love it, actually. <laughs> so on Sound Healing Volume 1 is... Everything we're hearing on there, your voice? Everything. Everything. So when I'm hearing these flutes. Not the flutes. Not the flutes and uh, not the piano. Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And not, the nat and not the nature sounds, of course. No, I am not the crickets or the water either. <laughs> or the birds. But um, all the ethereal vocals and the pads and synthesizers that you hear, all of those mm -hmm. instrumentals, those are all my voice that are just manipulated. Right. And beauty of the universe. That's one of the ones where you're just doing these layered vocal long pads. Beauty of the Universe actually isn't on Sound Healing Volume 1. That is a collaboration I had, which is beautiful. Oh, he, with, get that mixed up with something? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> that song actually is with a quadriplegic artist in Japan. Ah. Uh -huh. Super cool. Yeah. Mystical Forest is very interesting. First of all, that title is interesting. It's kind of different from the other titles. So where was that coming from? Mystical Forest. That's probably my favorite on the album. I used to frequent Yosemite when I lived in California, and that is one of my favorite places on the planet. And anytime I was in the Sequoia Groves, I would feel just 
<laughs> like I was in a mystical forest. It, it, I mean, it, it, they're alive. They're, if you feel the energy of the trees, they speak to you. And it felt like heaven on earth when I was in those groves. And so when I wrote this song, um, I was really wanting to place the listener in the space that I go to when I visit these places. So even if you're at home or you're in your car, wherever you are, you can close your eyes, put your headphones on, and you can just feel that peace that I feel when I'm there. Mm, okay. So you said the flutes weren't you. Were they flutes? Yes, they're flutes. <laughs> yes. Um, I have an amazing virtual instrument. He's a friend of mine, Eduardo Taliarante. I'm probably mispronouncing his last name. But he has an incredible virtual instrument called Forest Kingdom. It is so beautiful. The flutes, uh, the harps, so amazing. And I know it's a, it's a debate if you're not actually playing the instrument. But I think what's so powerful about technology is that if you have the music inside of you, you now have the tools to play what your soul would like to express. So... I can't play flute that well. <laughs> so being able to play on my virtual instrument with that quality of a recording was so amazing for me. How many instruments do you play? So I play piano. Piano is my strongest. Um, I grew up playing violin. I play a little bit of guitar and very poor harp, which I would love to get better at and very poor flute, which I would like to get better at. I saw a picture of one of your pictures, uh, one of your videos. You've got a, I think it's a Celtic harp in the background. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I have that. It's really for vibe. <laughs> <laughs> now, Summer Rain, that is far and away the most active piece on the album. It's got a chord progression, uh, changes up a little bit. Tell me about that, because that's certainly in the mood of everything on the album, but it is different. Yeah, it's it's definitely the most active. Um, it's not 11 minutes long. I think it's like five minutes long. But it's just a very visceral feeling when you stand out in the rain. But it's summer rain. It's warm. It's not cold. It's inviting. It's peaceful and serene. And so you hear the rain, which I sampled outside uh, when it was raining. And feeling the delicacy of the piano, like the piano is raining on you, like over your brain. And then my vocals come in and it's kind of like very rainy with the vocals. <laughs> it just feels like you're getting a sound bath as you would like to the max. <laughs> wow. So you say that nature is an inspiration for your sound. It's certainly all over this particular album. Yeah. My ultimate inspiration is nature. Whatever my higher power is, I feel through nature every day, especially now that I live in nature. Mm -hmm. And how does that articulate in your music? So it's a feeling. I, it's interesting. Growing up in the city and probably when you were listening to my earlier works, I was dealing with police helicopters and people fighting outside and gunshots at times. <laughs> like pretty crazy, right? And I would have to go escape to nature. Um, and so there's a lot of pain and chaos in my early work, which I find beautiful because it captures what I was living in at the time. And I'm very sensitive to my environment. Then when I moved out to the woods, 
I started gardening before I would write. And I love growing my own food. So instead of being in a city and trying to, you know, meditate and find my peace and having tons of coffee to get energized, I would go out and I would touch my tomatoes and my eggplants and my sunflower garden and I would get energized in that way. And so I think how it feels in my music now is that there's a warmth there that's not really coming from such a painful place. There's a very healed, joyful place that I write from now. Did you think you were writing from a painful place before? Oh, yeah. Lots of pain. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I hear that on the ethereal blues. On the other hand, Breathe Me In sounds like kind of like a love song album. So is ethereal blues, the <laughs> things are cool <laughs> from Breathe Me In and they fell apart in between there? <laughs> I love that you said that. Well, Breathe Me In, I, I met... It was literally, I met my husband and then I wrote that whole album. Like I did totally fall in love, but there's some dark songs on there. There's Black Valentine, which is about depression and anxiety. Um, so, you know, Jigsaw is about just feeling alone. There's a lot on Breathe Me In that still comes from a dark place, but Ethereal Blues was really kind of like my spiritual awakening, especially even being in the music industry, trying to find stillness and authenticity without the pressures of having to overperform and manipulate myself and then seeing how hard it is to live in a city and be peaceful and sensitive and then just evolve as a person you know in the times we live in it was a very painful period that I was in I was still deeply in love with my partner but it was a very spiritually reflective album and how to heal on a very very core level my relationship with my art and my relationship just being a human being. So what does your husband do? He is now a real estate agent, uh, but he had been my manager for about eight years after I left a very bad situation um, in my earlier career. And he was just my, my best friend and right-hand person throughout all those albums. And uh, we opened up our store together, our metaphysical shop. So... We've had fun watching that grow. So we're, we're pretty much business partners as well. Ah, interesting. You started putting your stuff up on MySpace, which is so quaint. Uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> and those songs, a lot of those songs made it onto Breathe Me In. Um, right? Mm, I don't know if any of the ones I put up... Well, I looked on the, your MySpace page. Yeah, did I put some of those on there? Well, you had Jigsaws up there. Really? Yeah, and uh, Gravity. Oh, okay. And, and something else, a few others. You're right. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's funny. I okay. started the MySpace page in high school, so none of those songs made it, right? Okay. <laughs> but I did. I launched my my online career in high school, and then I took those bad songs. I don't want to call them bad. They're, they're sweet, but they weren't where they needed to be. And then, yeah. I did upload, and I got on a couple radio stations from those MySpace songs and then got my, my album out. Yeah, uh, that was really interesting. So how did these people discover you? They're just trawling through MySpace and they stumbled on yeah. your music? I mean, Isn't that amazing? So MySpace, people don't know this modern day with TikTok and Instagram going viral. MySpace was a whole new thing. I remember when it first launched – it was just a profile for like you. And then they did MySpace music. And when I did that, I'm like, oh, I'm going to put my songs up. But then 
people from other countries, the UK, I have fans that still discovered me back when I was in high school. And they were in different countries. So that's the amazing thing about the internet. I don't know how they found me, but sometimes you just find people. I, I, we didn't even have hashtags at the time. Yeah. <laughs> so getting back to sound healing for a minute, and, and I'm going to apologize for this question in advance. But was there any consideration of you using such a generic and really kind of cliched title for that album? Yes. <laughs> I want people to know that sound healing is cool. <laughs> and I've come from a very like energetic, non-new age background. And I've just heard over and over, and especially, you know, in more energetic genres, that being slow is boring. And it's hard to slow down. But I've just seen consistently people stressed all the time. And we're kind of in a caffeine culture where we're just go, 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 go. We want to be distracted. So it was my choice to say, okay, I want to put something out where you know what it is. And it's going to be a ton of volumes in the future. And I'm just going to keep putting out healing music, put out healing music. And that if you enjoy it, sound healing is cool. It's cool. Okay. <laughs> it's just that there are a lot of albums. In fact, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Albums come in with that title and they get kind of like pushed aside because I know what they're going to be. Now yours, of course, I listen to because I know Mimi Page and I expect great things from you. So it worked. <laughs> <laughs> well, only because, but, but if it was, uh, you know, Sarah Smiley <laughs> doing Sound Healing Volume 1, I'd say, yeah, <laughs> maybe some other day you know yeah how do you feel about being referred to as an ethereal vocalist i love it couldn't mm -hmm. be more accurate and i love what ethereal means it's it's otherworldly and that's what i feel my artistry is it's an exploration of what is not here in mm -hmm. in this world but not of it right right okay well let me ask you you know i've never been in a room with you singing so I've been with some singers who I thought had really powerful voices, and then I'm, I'm with them in the booth while they're singing, and if you take the headphones off, you can barely hear them. Ah. <laughs> so is your voice like that? I felt like you have more power in your voice. I do, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm peacefully powerful, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you do a lot of vocal layering in your music, and you've been doing it for a while. I'm thinking like tune like Star Child, hmm. for instance, going back a little bit. And there are tons of other tunes I could select. So how did you come to that idea? In high school, when I learned how to record my voice, I went to a music conservatory. And my background, my whole family, they're all musicians, Broadway, opera, never thought I could sing. So I went to study piano but I stumbled upon a music technology class and my teacher was so incredible. He taught me how to record. So I'm like, ah, I have all these ideas in my head. I can't really sing, but I recorded my voice for the first time and I heard something really peaceful. And I'm like, I don't feel that way. Why does this sound so pretty? <laughs> Let's put some reverb on it. Oh, whoa. What if I stacked it a minor third and then a fifth? And then what if I created a whole choir of myself? Oh my God, this is, this is a vibe. So, you know, th that was how I discovered how to layer. It was just experimenting in high school and it sounds like a whole choir of me. And the tone 
was really beautiful when I put certain reverbs on it and, and different frequencies would pop and overtones and yeah. So that's just been consistent throughout my whole career. It's just mm. stacking and layering. So it wasn't an Enya inspiration? Actually, no. She's been a huge inspiration, but I never put that together. Watermark is like my favorite album of hers and Sail Away. Just her lead vocal is really what I love. And then I didn't really know she was layering until I got deep into production. I'm like, oh my God. So I mean, subconsciously, probably, but I never consciously did that because she did it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting. Your lyrics are very spare. There's never a ton of words. Some of them like flowing, extremely spare. <laughs> flowing. <laughs> Tell me about your approach to writing. Well, I, I love that you mentioned that. That's probably my favorite song I've ever written is flowing. Yeah, I'm like the ocean. I'm flowing away. And sometimes less is more for me when I want to communicate a feeling and an experience. And I want to take someone into the music. So the lyrics are kind of like the doorway. So you know what it's about and you can follow it. But then you are submerged then in the beautiful frequencies that are kind of hugging you. So for me, the simplicity is more to call you into the music. And I think music is a lyrical experience as well. It just doesn't have English in there. The music is speaking to you. Um, so sometimes that's intentional, that I want the music to speak louder than a lyric or an English language could. Hmm. Interesting. You've done a lot of films and video games, computer games, I guess it would be now. When you get these assignments, what is most often in the temp track? No temp track. Is that amazing? Yeah. Yeah. Never? I, no. And it's probably because I'm not working on big budget projects. I've had directors and developers come to me and just say, just create this, this world for me. And I'm like, man, you're awesome. What's your, what's your template? Uh, sometimes it's my own stuff, but sometimes they're just like, no, just, just go with it. You know, um, my favorite project I worked on, I scored Zach Bagans. He's the creator of Ghost Adventures, um, his Demon House feature film. And I guested on his TV show with him and he used one of my songs, Requiem. And it was all about just create just what you feel. And that's what I did. I didn't have a temp track for that. And the music that came from me was so creative because I didn't have that. And I felt so grateful for the trust to just say, hey, use your imagination. So I, I felt so grateful for that. But I am scoring a video game now. It's called She Dreams Elsewhere. I've been scoring it probably for seven years. <laughs> it's a solo developer. Yeah. The solo developer indie world is so intense. One man and he, he created this in high school as well. Like we linked up and he just graduated, but the concept was incredible. It's about a girl in a, in a coma trying to fight her way to consciousness. And he did the same for the first half of the score. Just go with what you feel, whatever you feel. And I'm like, okay, I can explore the subconscious mind. But then I got hired to do a second half because he got really awesome, like it's gonna be on Nintendo and Xbox and everything. So it's gonna be much bigger than it was. And then he had temp tracks 
for the second half, which I needed because it's a lot of different energies than what the first half was. So that was a more challenging experience because I wanted to honor his vision, but also still stay in my own lane and honor the first half of the score. So different approaches. Yeah. Do you play games? I love games. I play it every, I play video games two hours every morning. When I wake up. Oh, is that like your, your morning meditation? You pluck up a video game? My favorite <laughs> thing to do, I'm such a nerd, is I make a big cup of coffee and I sit and I play Hearthstone and I just wake up or I play chess um, or whatever game. I love strategy and puzzles. It wakes up my mind and I get so happy and so excited and I start my day with a video game. Okay, but these aren't fantasy games or anything, right? No, no. <laughs> I don't have time for those anymore, especially being a mom. It's just really hard. But um, I used to, though. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, I would wake up and play Skyrim or Fallout. I would I would wake up and always some type of game I have to wake up and play. It's uh, so funny about the, the dump track thing because, you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of film composers. And they're always telling me what kind of stuff is temp track before they got to it, you know. Oftentimes, it's Thomas Newman. <laughs> I interviewed him, <laughs> and he gets films where he's in the temp track. <laughs> <laughs> of course, he's he's the king of of cinema. He's amazing. He is. So you've worked with Delirium. We just had them on the show, and you've worked with them for a little while now. Yeah, two albums. Two albums, but a big span of years. So what's their process? You know, what's interesting. I, it might have been on your show that I learned about this because um, I love their interview. But um, I'm one of the only artists that I co-produce my songs with them. I don't just come on as a vocalist. And kind of that's like my main, like what I love to do. I love to show up as a composer, not just as a vocalist with anything I work on. And so they had discovered me uh, back in like 2015 or 16 through some of my EDM stuff And I had a bunch, I just have files and files of my own music that I just write all the time. And so I had some ideas and I played them for them and they loved it. And so we just merged and created and finished some songs. They would send me stuff. I would come back with sounds and vocals and yeah, but every, every song that I've done with them, I've co-produced, I believe. Hmm. Yeah. They said that and they gave you full credit and everything. That's quite a bit different. I think most of their collaborations the singer just comes in and i guess they compose because they usually write the lead melody yeah that they're gonna sing yeah usually for me i write it yeah i usually have those down already right and of course that solidifies your reputation in the dream pop world thank you don't you think that means a lot i'll I'll take it from you i can't say that but that's (laughs) nice thank you when you consider that where you are in terms of your lyric music? I would say so. I think that that's a really beautiful space to land. That would summarize mm-hmm. what I do. Now, you do these it's on your soundtracks. You know, you do different things than what you do as Mimi Page as the artist. You get substantially more aggressive on some things. I'm thinking like um, Ancient Frontier Steel Shadows. I mean, that gets really aggressive, dissonant. Yeah. Not things that most people attribute to Mimi Page. Thank you. As an artist. I I appreciate you researching that side of my artistry so much. A lot of people don't. (laughs) (laughs) It's part of kind of being a vocalist. People just think that you just sing, you know, but that that score came at the greatest time. I had scored um, their first game, which was Ancient Frontier, and then they had a sequel 
called Steel Shadows, and this was about war and destruction. It was dark, and I love the imagery and the colors. And I had been singing over dubstep songs for so long just as a vocalist, and so many, I <laughs> didn't get credit for producing some of them. Um, so when I got this score, I was like, I'm gonna write a dubstep song, and I'm gonna go hardcore, and I'm gonna sing over it, and blah, blah, blah. And the developers loved it, it was so fun. I had a really good time. I think I have a drum and bass song in there as well. Yeah. <laughs> so when you're talking about not getting credit, are we are we referencing Bass Nectar? Mm, yeah. He's supposed to be going to trial soon, I think. Yep. I do follow that. Yep. I, I honestly didn't know about it until I researched this interview. Mm. And I was really distraught mm -hmm. because I interviewed him mm. when Vava Voom came out. At the time, I would say it was one of the best interviews I'd ever done. Mm. And then I read all that stuff, and I read, I read your open letter, mm. and uh, that was kind of brutal. Yeah, yeah. I will forever be scarred by this entire situation. Forever. It's changed yeah. me. Yeah. Did it change you for the better? Did it make you smarter? Did it make you... Or are you changed because it's a hurt that's not going to go away? Both. Yeah. I, I, I wish I could say more, and I probably will whenever this case is wrapped up because the allegations are so severe. And even thinking about it viscerally, I go into a lot of stress um, just because it's so dark. But what I did find, which you probably read in my open letter, is I found my voice. And... Um, if anybody has been harmed, and if I've worked with somebody who's harmed somebody else, I'm about a music industry that represents accountability and health on behalf of artists and fans. And so I am very proud of myself that I spoke up. I was terrified, but I'm really glad I did. Was there any backlash from that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of beauty that came from it, but yeah, I had... Um, He's got a cult following, and I, I had some people threatening me, you know, just because I spoke what happened to me and my truth and stood up for other pe little girls that had alleged they were harmed, and I stood up, and getting threats for that, that's crazy. Yeah, it seems to be more prevalent, I think, than we either A, knew, or B, wanted to admit. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sorry you had to go through that. Thank you. Yeah. But <laughs> on the bright <laughs> side, <laughs> I'm about healing, you know. And so I, I would pray that this tragedy would wake everyone up to needing a healthier music industry as a collective. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, when you said you found your voice, my immediate first thought was, no, you had your voice a long time ago, mm. you know, and I'm talking musically now. Mm. Okay. Mm. I'm moving, I'm moving off of this. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I'm talking musically now. Everyone who hears your music loves it. I just think it's a matter of people hearing your music. Thank you. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Is that frustrating to you? Not anymore. You know, you know what happened? Not anymore? Not anymore. No, I... I had an, a, really, a really beautiful therapist in my late 20s, and she said, you're an artist's artist. Just do you. And 
there's so much ego in this profession focused on, you know, cloud and, and visibility. I'm just marching to the beat of my own drum now. And if people hear me, that's beautiful. And if they don't, that's okay. But I want to be at peace just creating and being happy doing that. And I think my work will only get better if I totally concentrate on that. Well, it looks like you had a wild childhood because your mom was like deep, deep, deep into performing. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Tell me about that. She was a, a dancer, right? That was her... Dancer, singer, actress. Yeah, she was in some Broadway legendary shows. She 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 was awesome. Yeah. And I, I grew up on tour with her. That was my childhood. So I I think I traveled to forty eight states before the age of four. Yeah. A couple different countries. How, how, how conscious were you of what was going on? How much do you remember? Oh, I lived on a ship for nine months. And I remember that I was two years old. So I remember living on a ship. Um, it's weird, the, the brain, you know, and having a child now, that's why I'm so conscious of like what he absorbs, because I remember things at a very young age. I remember certain states I went to certain smells. Um, yeah, I, I was pretty conscious. I can't remember everything. But I learned how to read by rehearsing her lines with her and Music was my soundtrack every night. I knew the whole uh, Broadway show scores. <laughs> that was like, yeah. And just people singing to me, too. It was beautiful. Gee, why did you go to that music? <laughs> you would think, right? This is part of my like spirituality. I think your soul comes in just as like a unique thing. And I, I love her art form, but I couldn't be any more interested in doing any of that. And I think that was upsetting to her because I'm like, man, I mean, that would have been so awesome. And I feel bad, but like, I didn't want to dance. I don't have the, I mean, a flute cannot be a trumpet. So that's why when I was like, I didn't think I was a singer. It was, I had the musicality. I had the ear, but my instrument, I'm not allowed. I can't belt very loudly, but I can in my own way. Um, so it's a different thing. Um, but yeah, I just was never interested in that side. The first album I told you that I ever bought was Pure Moods. I was on tour with her, a chorus line, I think we're on tour for. And there was an infomercial and I heard Enigma um, for the first time, Return to Innocence. And I'm like, this is the best thing I've ever heard in my life. Please get me this album. (laughs) So that's where my ear and my soul wanted to go. It was just this dreamy vibe. I'm still the same to this day. Even when you were four or five, that yeah. you, you would have heard that when you were four yeah. or five, right? Yeah. I can't believe that music spoke to you at the time. Yeah. Yeah. You know the term an old soul? I think we all are, but like, I think I'm a very old soul. <laughs> I, was, I was vibing out like to this meditative music, but I had Broadway stars all around me. And I'm like, that's not my vibe. This is my vibe. <laughs> so what did your dad do i don't know the guy really oh yeah okay because yeah i've never seen him mentioned in your in your nope interviews no i wish him the best wherever he is but he has not contributed to my life okay yeah so how has your child affected your creativity or your ability to have time to create good question (laughs) gosh He's my greatest symphony. I don't think there's anything more creative than creating a life. And 
it's really hard to write. You know, I have to write at night when he's sleeping or at his nap time. But he's grandma in his life. So grandma is amazing and watches him so I can work. Um, but he's, you know, I've integrated since my pregnancy sound. So he loves music. And so he has a little bassinet and play area in my studio. So he watches me create and we dance together and listen to mixes, which is so fun. And he's just the most beautiful form of inspiration I could ever hope for. I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible. My, my soul is alive every day. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so you've, you've mentioned a lot of things that were influences. And one thing that I think is almost the heaviest influence you didn't mention, but I have seen you mention it in other interviews, which was 4AD and the attendant bands. Yeah, love 480. Yeah, like Cocktail Twins and yeah, Liz Frazier. Just absolutely. I dabbled in, in that and I wished at the time that I had been born where I could have been in that world, but I wasn't. But I do. I love I love that record label a lot. Yeah. I mean, there are still a million bands out there who are children of 4AD, if you will. Yeah. Doing things that are in, in the similar zone. Yeah, Elizabeth Frazier. Uh-huh. Hey, you wouldn't have to come up with any words then. Just the syllables that sound like words. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing what she did. Her and uh, Lisa Gerard. Oh my gosh. Yes, Queens. Yeah. I, love, I love Lisa. Yeah. So looking back across your music, even in a million pieces, love will never die. I almost think of that as a precursor track to sound healing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had actually written that song for a documentary that never got released. Um, and it was about a war-torn country. And it just, the, the funding, I think, fell apart. And I had this song that just spoke to grief and pain and loss, but that love and beauty cannot die no matter what happens. And so during the pandemic, I was like, I'll just release this as a single and that, that'll be on my new album, Echoes of Eternity. Yeah, that is like the precursor to all the sound healing and instrumental stuff. So Echoes uh, of Eternity, when, when is that slated to appear? You know, it's when it's done, it's done. I, I had to take a break from it because I wrote it and it was almost finished before the pandemic and I was going to release it. And then so much in our world happened and I lost my narrative and I only release something when I feel fully aligned with it. And so I had gone to kind of a dark place, especially with some of the other stuff we talked about earlier with the artists that I worked with. Um, I got into a really dark space and I needed to find joy again. And so I took a step away from that album and I didn't want to touch it or finish it until I had the light within me restored. And so I had a really great break. I feel I'm like in a beautiful space now and um, the sound healing's coming. I'm doing live sound healings and events and I feel really energized with my solo work and my son has inspired me tremendously. So I'll probably, hopefully, put it out maybe 2024, but we'll see. Oh, good. Then we can do another interview then. I was just I was just hoping you don't put it out next month and this interview is already dated. No, 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 no. You're good. <laughs> it's not done. It is not done. 
So you, you, you play live. What, what does that consist of? So in the past, it was actually like a synthesizers and the whole shebang. Um, and I had a live band as well. But now I'm really just doing sound healing events. I've got my gong and I've got all of my crystal sound bowls. And sometimes I incorporate my voice, but I lead workshops of meditation and breathing and relaxing to all the harmonics of the quartz. And have you played your vocal music, you know, like Breathe Me In and have you, have you performed that live? Yeah, I briefly went on tour with my first record and I, I toured the East Coast. I opened for Jefferson Starship. I went on tour with them. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's super interesting pair, right? Um, Paul Kantner <laughs> was such a lovely man um, before he passed. I was grateful to he him. He seemed lovely. I wish I, wish I could have met him. Oh, I wish you could have too. You would have loved yeah. him. He he used to watch me backstage all the time when I'd perform and really like made me feel good about myself. Um Gave me a lot of confidence. So I toured that. And then with um, Ethereal Blues, I toured just where I was living, Hollywood. And I don't know. I was in a weird space performing live. I was performing with a lot of DJs at the time. And um, I kind of just went down that path. And I, I wish I had performed more with my solo stuff, but I was collaborating so much. And then I got so deep into the video game and the film stuff. I didn't have time to tour. So that kind of cut short my solo performances. All right. Wow. Well, I would love to see you do something live. I think that would be pretty amazing. I think, I'm sure a lot of other people would too. Well, Mimi, it was great talking to you. Uh-huh. It was great talking to you too. I will have a link to Mimi Page's album, Sound Healing Volume 1, in the posting for this podcast at echoes.org. On the Thursday Echoes podcast, it's going to be Opium Moon, a band that is seeking unity with Israeli and Iranian members, creating a sound that taps the central side of the Middle East. If you want to ensure interviews like this in the Echoes podcast and the Echoes radio show, make a donation to Echoes on our website, echoes.org. Just hit the support tab at echoes, E-C-H-O-E-S dot org, O-R-G. I'm John DiLiberto. This has been the Echoes Podcast from PRX. See you next week, tonight on the radio, somewhere in the country, or at Echoes Online right now or whenever you want. Echoes.